Well, good morning. My name is Randy Madison. I'm the interim executive pastor here at uh, Carney E. Free. And I'm filling in for Adrian, uh, who is suffering for Jesus. Uh, here at the end of this week, he's out skiing in Colorado. I don't know if I was supposed to tell you that or not, but somebody's got to suffer for Jesus this week, right? It is spring break. Anyway, he'll be back next week, and I'm filling in today, and uh, glad to be with you again. Uh, we're continuing our journey through the Bible today, God's story, our story, and we're in the book of Ruth. We were in the book of Judges last week, and as we prepare to look at this, this short story this morning, it reminds me of some short stories that uh, I read my grandkids this last week. Uh, hard to believe, but a week ago, uh, Elizabeth and I were in Phoenix, Arizona, hanging out with my grandkids, uh, Blueberry and Cowboy. Uh, more commonly known as uh, Levi and Gretchen. And uh, we just had a great time with them. Read uh, Cinderella and uh, Goldilocks and the Three Bears, uh, the Three Little Pigs, all of those classic golden book stories that uh, you love to read as parents and grandparents with your kids. Well, as we look at this story this morning in the book of Ruth, uh, and before we dive in, I want to just uh, remind you that our ladies... Sarah Staples, our women's director, and our women are going to be going through the book of Ruth this summer. And if you're interested in doing more study in this book that we're looking at this morning, and you're a, a woman, a lady, you might want to jump in and be a part of that. Uh, the, uh, the information on that will be available in the office beginning on April the 1st, some study guides, and uh, you can look at it and decide whether you want to do it. But that wouldn't be a bad uh, choice because we're doing one book, this short story, in one morning, one day, and this would be a way to study more of the detail of what we're going to be looking at. This is an incredible story that we're looking at this morning. Leon Morris, a uh, great Bible commentator, said that this is the perfect short story. And it's not children's fiction. It's not the three little pigs and Goldilocks and the three bears. This is a book not of romantic fiction with a little less intact on the end of it. But this is a book about real facts, real life. And that's why I love this book. Got into it this week as I was preparing this message. And it's an incredible book with lots of rich themes. Another Bible commentator said that no poet in the world has written a more beautiful short story than this story that we're going to be looking at this morning. The NIV Study Bible, and we're working out of the NIV for this series, uh, describes this book in this way. It says that it's an historical narrative in Scripture that is unexcelled. Nothing compares to it. It's unexcelled in its compactness, its vividness, and its beauty. This is an incredible book about one extended family, which makes it unique. Uh, we've got some books about and stories in the Bible about one person, but this is one extended family, the family of Ruth, who stands out during the period of the judges. And so we're going to be looking at this. And it's not just a wish upon the star, pixie dust, they lived happily ever after, but this is real people. This is a real family made up of real people with real problems, and they've got a real personal God 
who is traveling with them on this journey in the midst of their problems. And we're going to see that this morning, and that's important. Because I don't know about you, but while Cinderella and Goldilocks and the Three Bears make me feel warm and fuzzy, and it's a neat little story, I need a, a book that gives me a reality check, that tells me the truth about me and life, and that gives me some encouragement and some hope as I travel through life. And that's what we have in this story this morning with these real people and their real personal God. Would you bow your head with me in prayer? Lord, now as we prepare our hearts to get into this story, this beautiful short story, just four chapters with these people that we can learn from. And as we look at what you did in their lives, Lord, we just ask you to speak to our hearts. Because I recognize, Lord, that we are real people too. And we've had a real week. And for some of us, our real week has been one of those mountaintop experiences. It's spring break, and it's been a great week. And some of us are just coming in, back in from vacation. But for others of us, Lord, it's been a, a, a week kind of in the pit. And we're bringing stuff in with us this morning that maybe only you know about. And so we ask now as we look into your word that you would give us food for our souls and that you would give us what we need as we leave this place today, Lord, that you would encourage us and that you would give us hope as we look to Easter. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, there are three main themes that I was able to identify in these four short chapters. And the first theme that I want you to see this morning is the theme of God's loving providence when we're confronted with life's overwhelming problems. Have you ever been overwhelmed by life? You didn't go looking for it. You didn't write it this way. You didn't plan for it to turn out that way. But at some point, you were hit in the face with something, and so you're overwhelmed by life's problems. That's the situation that we find Ruth and Naomi in as we open this story this morning. If you have your Bible, open it to chapter 1. Look at verses 1 through 8. I'll read it here in the NIV. It's on the screen as well, or get it on your phone, however you want to read it. But follow along, please. In the days when the judges ruled, there was famine in the land. And you remember Adrian described that for us last week, this period of the judges. It was a, a decadent, disastrous kind of time in the nation of Israel. And so everybody's kind of doing their own thing instead of God, going God's way and doing His thing. And these judges are ruling, and there's famine in the land. Now, famine isn't much fun. That means there's no food. And so, what does this godly family do? A man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. They're going to move to a foreign land in order to find food. And the man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Mahon and Kilion. And they were Ephraites from Bethlehem of Judah. And they went to Moab and they lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died and she was left with her two sons. And they married Moabite women. 
one named Orpha and the other Ruth. And they had lived there, and when they lived there about 10 years, then both Mahon and Kilion also died. So now you have Naomi in this foreign country, foreign land, famine. Her husband dies, and now her two sons die. Didn't plan on that. And when she heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of His people by providing food for them, Naomi and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there, verse 6. And when her two daughters-in-law, pardon me, where, with her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you. Go back home to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you as you've shown to your, to, to your dead and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. In other words, don't make this road trip with me. Go back to your own homeland. And so here's Naomi. Famine. Lost her husband. Lost her sons. She's destitute. She's a woman living in this time and age, she's vulnerable. She doesn't have any op- occupation, no way to provide for herself, and so she's going to go back home to try to make some kind of living or find some way to subsist in life. And that's the beginning then of this story. Now remember this period of judges. They went through this cycle. As I just said a minute ago, and as Adrian said last week, here are all of these people that are going their way instead of God's way. And so you can see on this slide that's come up, and you recognize it if you were here last week, they fall into sin. They're doing life their way. And what does God do? Well, God judges them. He, 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 they experience oppression and difficulty. God wants to get their attention to bring him back, them back to himself. And we see throughout this book that at different times they repent. The light switch comes on, they realize what they're doing, they decide that they're going to cry out to God, and so God delivers them by sending a judge. And so they're delivered from their oppression, and when they're delivered, then they experience peace, as you can see from this diagram, and abundance, but then they go back to doing exactly what they did before. A lot like you and me, we're not much different than these people. And so that's the situation surrounding Naomi and Elimelech and their family. And they're this godly family of faith seeking to serve God in the midst of this environment, this situation. Famine comes and they move to this this foreign country of Moab. And what I want you to see is that they're hit or overcome with all of these problems. And I think that's important to recognize this morning because being a Christian, being a follower of Christ, doesn't give you an exemption card from troubles in life. In fact, Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 33, in this life, you will have trouble. He promised us that. Earth isn't heaven. And so we experience, we encounter difficulty. And in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through through 13, Peter writes, don't be surprised. Are you like me? 
sometimes something bad happens and I'm surprised because I want life to be like winning the final four, you know, I'm the champion. And something bad comes your way, something surprising, and you're just, you're blindsided by it. Well, Peter says, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that you're called on to, to endure. Because life this side of heaven is that way. And that's what Naomi and her family are experiencing here. We've made a list of all that, that they experienced. You've been listening to it. Reminds me of my brother-in-law. We were in Phoenix last week. I get this text message and find out that his best friend was found dead on the living room of their floor, just 60 years of age. His wife didn't plan on that. Last night, we were at home in Hastings. We went to a fundraiser annual banquet for Youth for Christ, and we walk into the room, and the first person that I see and I begin to talk to is an elder on the former church, in the former church that I served. We begin to talk, and he's beginning chemotherapy treatment in May of this year. He's had lymphoma, leukemia, for some time. And so now he's facing this. Right across a blog that somebody sent me just this last week, and it was entitled, Did God Write the Story That You Didn't Want Written? You know, sometimes God allows things to come into our life that we just don't expect, and they're there. And so they're encountering all of this stuff. So I want to ask you at this point, have you ever felt abandoned by God? Look at how Naomi describes herself at the end of chapter 1 in verses 20 and 21. If you've still got your Bible open, just turn there to the end of the chapter. And notice how she describes her life. As she arrives back in her homeland, she says, Don't call me a Naomi anymore. She told them, Instead call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. Maybe you've been there and felt like that at some point. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. That's how she felt, empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. And so she's describing her experience here at the end of this chapter. You can look at verses 11 through 14. I think they may have been on the screen and follow some of the same description. My demon director used to say this, and I'm reminded of this when bad things come my way that are unwelcome. He said, too often we try to use God to change our circumstances while He is using our circumstances to change us. Have you ever felt abandoned like God just wasn't there? That's how Naomi was feeling in this situation. She felt afflicted. Her life was bitter. She wondered where God was in the midst of all of this. And maybe you're here this morning and you feel like the pile of problems has gotten so high that you wonder where God is in the midst of everything that's going on. Maybe you're here today and the pain is so great that you wonder if God maybe has abandoned you. You would describe your life in the way that Naomi describes it as just bitter. It's not what I planned. It's not where I want to be. Well, I want you to notice two things about this. And these are very important. The first thing I want you to notice is that Naomi is honest about her situation. 
Look at verses 20 and 21 again. She doesn't put on her pretend spiritual face. And she doesn't say what people may want to hear. She describes her life as it really is or it really was. She's honest about herself. And I think that's a very important thing for all of us to to remember this morning because the first step toward healing in our lives many times is just being honest about where we are now. And isn't it true? Isn't the temptation when you come into church on Sunday to pretend? Because, I mean, when you come to church, you're supposed to be happy, right? And people know that you're a follower of Christ and you want to do it right. We all want to do it right. And so we put on this happy face and you're walking through by the cafe here and somebody asks you how your week went and you say, oh, it went great. It was a fantastic week, you know. And we're pretending because if they really knew what our life had been like that week, they maybe wouldn't even want to be our friend. And so we're sometimes just afraid to be honest with where we are, but we might as well be honest with where we are because guess what? God knows where we are. He knows who we are and He knows where we are. And that's one of the things that I love about the book of the Psalms because the psalmist is so open. He's so honest with God about his real-life situations. Read Psalm 34. Read Psalm 42, 43, 56. So many of the psalms are the psalmist opening up his heart. Pastor Adrian taught our lunch together, leadership development lunch this last week, and we had a bunch of people in the room. I wasn't there, but but I was talking to somebody about it, and they told me that one of the things he talked about was, was present your true self before God in prayer. And I love that thought. We might as well present our true self before God in prayer when we come to Him because God knows where we are. And that's what Naomi does in this situation as we look at this story. She's honest about how she's hurting. And so God can come in now in His loving providence and meet her where she is because she's willing to acknowledge her need. And by providence, I mean God's protection. His provision, His care, His guidance in her life. Look at chapter 1, verse 6. Just very quickly, look at that. Notice how she describes her situation. When she heard that God had come to their aid. I love that. Sometimes God will come to your aid when you don't expect it. And so she moves back home. Look at chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 for just a minute. As they go back home and as Ruth goes with her, what happens? She goes out into this field to glean from the harvest. And verse 3 tells us, as it turned out, she found herself working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech, a relative of her husband. I love that phrase. I've, I've underlined it. I bolded it in my Bible. As it turned out. Have you ever had circumstances like that in your life where, as it turned out, it just so happened? Well, it didn't just so happen. God was with you all of the time in His loving providence. God is alongside of us. He's out ahead of us, providing for us in the midst of all the problems of life which may come our way. And so we have this beautiful story unfolding here. 
I remember many years ago, I was going through a, a very, I was lower than a snake in grass. I was going through a really tough time. I was lower than a duck's instep, as my dad used to say. That's pretty low. And I remember going to church one night when they used to have church service on Sunday evening, and we were there, and we listened to this song, and maybe you remember it, God will make a way when there is no way. And I remember listening to the words of that song and the people singing and the tears just coming down my face because I just felt like there was no way. I didn't know where my life was going. I didn't know how it was going to end up. And God was able to meet me at that point in time. And maybe you're there this morning, and God wants to make a way when you feel like there is no way. That's where Naomi and Ruth were in this situation, in this story. And that brings us then to the second theme, major theme in this book, and it's this. Here we find them faithful, living out genuine faith in the midst of moral failure or godless disbelief all around them. Remember, this is a a time of absolute, total breakdown and failure in the lives of the people of God that were living in Israel. And Adrian did such a great job of describing that a week ago. And so here they are, surrounded by this. Everybody is doing their own thing. They're doing what's right in their own eyes. And here's this faithful family trying to do it God's way. And we see their faith worked out in the midst of all of these problems. So what are some marks of genuine faith? What does genuine faith look like when we're trying to live for the Lord in the midst of difficult days? Well, there are three or four things that I noticed as I was doing this study. Number one, notice that genuine faith is marked by commitment. Genuine faith is all in. Notice what Ruth says to Naomi in chapter 1, verses 16 through 18. Hope you've still got your Bible open. You can follow along with me. Notice how Ruth answers Naomi when she's going back home and she's trying to persuade her to go back to her homeland. Ruth was a Moabitess. Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. For where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die. I call that being all in. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if, if, if anything but death separates you and, and me. And when Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her to go back. Ruth was marked by total commitment. She was all in, fully devoted. She'd been converted to the faith of Naomi, and she wanted to follow her wherever she went. Genuine faith is all in faith. Notice one other interesting thing. Look at verse 14 in chapter 1. Notice that Orpha kisses Ruth, and then she goes back to Moab. Notice what Ruth does. Look at verse 14. The Bible says she clung to her. She clings to her. Genuine faith is clinging faith. It's committed faith. It's all in.
So that's the first mark of genuine faith. Several years ago, we were going through the book of Romans in the church that I was pastoring at the time, and I ran across a very interesting description of faith. See if this fits for you. We live in America today where a lot of people say they have faith. This is what this man writes. To believe a thing is general faith, but to trust a person is vital faith. Vital faith is richer than general faith because the act of trusting a person calls for greater measure of commitment than the act of believing a thing. And then they go on to write, when a person assents to a truth, and we got lots of people today in America today that assent mentally, cognitively at a certain level to truth. When they assent to a truth or when he believes in an object, he commits part of himself. This general faith, this is general faith, but when he trusts in another person, he commits the whole of himself. This is vital faith. And I think Ruth and Naomi had vital faith. It was all-in faith. It was marked by commitment, total commitment. Now, there's a second mark of genuine faith. And I want you to see it because it's very important. Genuine faith is commonplace faith. It works itself out in the ordinary arena, in the ordinary days of life. Several years ago, there was a guy by the name of David Platt who wrote a book called Radical. I'm just curious, has anybody in here read that book, Radical? Several of you. Well, if you read the book, then you know the point of, this, of, of what he was trying to say. He was calling us to be totally committed, to be radical disciples for Christ. And he had a great point he wanted to make. Genuine faith is a radical faith. But after he wrote that book, there was another man by the name of Michael Horton, who's a professor at Westminster Seminary, and he wrote a book called Ordinary. And it was really kind of a rebuttal. I didn't realize it, but a rebuttal to this book, Radical. And listen to some of the chapters in this book, Ordinary. Chapter 1, Ordinary is not mediocre. Practicing or practice what you preach, no more super apostles. Chapter three, we don't need another hero. Another chapter in the book, stop dreaming and love your neighbor. In other words, he was calling us to be ordinary. And I think that genuine faith works itself in, out in the ordinary arena of life. We don't need this morning, more Christian celebrities. Now, I know we had a great concert here about a week ago, and Michael W. Smith was here, and it was the Shekinah glory. It was a great evening. And I don't mean to ditz Michael W. Smith, because he's a great man, and the Lord's using him in, in, in all of our lives. But the world doesn't need more Michael W. Smiths. I love our lead pastor, Adrian Boykin, but guess what? The Lord doesn't need more Adrian Boykins. We've got one, and we need him. But you know what the world really needs? The world needs common, ordinary believers willing to work out their all-in faith in everyday life. We need ordinary people living in ordinary neighborhoods, working in ordinary workplaces, ordinary places of business, that are all in for Jesus. And when people see that, 
our faith being worked out in the commonplace, ordinary arena of life, then the world will be convinced that Jesus Christ is for real. The Lord needs you this morning. The Christian life, the Christian movement is a lay movement. It's not a movement made up of celebrities. We need lots of ordinary folks that want to be all in. Reminded of the story of the farmer years ago who thought he was called into the pastoral ministry. He was out in the field. He was getting it ready for, 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 uh, for planting. And he sees this cloud configuration, the sky, and it spells out PC. And so he, he's convinced that God wants him to go and preach Christ. And he goes and he talks with his pastor, and his pastor knows him very well. And he, he listens to his story, and he says, yeah, yeah, I believe you, I believe you saw it, I believe you saw it, but, but guess what PC does not mean? Go and preach Christ. What it means is plow corn. God needs people that are willing to plow corn, that are willing to serve him in the everyday arenas of life. I walk into a room and guess what? The curtains go down because there's the pastor. You walk into a room and people will listen to you. They'll listen to you because you rub shoulders with him on a daily basis. Third characteristic of genuine faith it manifests itself in our character. That's the third C on your outline. Notice all of the different characteristics in these ordinary, this ordinary family's life, Naomi and Ruth and Boaz. Notice the word kindness in chapter 1, verse 8, chapter 2, verse 10, chapter 3, or pardon me, chapter 2, verse 20, chapter 3, verse 10. The theme of kindness is seen over and over again. Do you know that, that word for kindness? You know what that word is? That word's used 247 times in the Old Testament, and it's a word that describes God's steadfast love for you and me. His loving kindness, depending on the translation that you have, His mercy in our lives. When we live out mercy and loving kindness, then genuine faith is seen in our lives. I wasn't very kind to my wife yesterday. I'm just going to be honest with you. It wasn't the best day in my life, okay? I didn't, have a, I didn't have a couple of good moments. I didn't treat her the way I should have treated her. She's here this morning, and she'll tell you the truth. And I had to go and ask her forgiveness. Kindness. Now, that's a radical idea, right? That's a radical thought, but kindness, that little character quality is one of the ways genuine faith is seen in our lives. When we treat our wives the way we're supposed to treat them, when we love our husband the way God calls us to love them, then people see genuine faith, evidence in our lives. Loyalty. Many people claim unfailing love, but a faithful man who can find these people are loyal to each other. Go home, open the book, read these four chapters. Boaz is loyal to Ruth and, and generous, uh, gracious generosity. He opens up his fields. And he lets them glean. He, he lets her take home an ephraim for a half an ephraim. And then five, I believe it is. He, he sends food home with her. He's generous in her, with her. When people see generosity in our everyday lives, then our faith is, is evidence. They, they see a little bit of Jesus in us. 
Boaz did the right thing because it was the right thing to do. He surrendered himself. He consecrated himself. That's the fourth C on your, your outline this morning. Committed, commonplace, manifested in our character. And then he, he surrendered himself. He was obedient. He did the right thing. He followed God's prescription in John, Deuteronomy 25 and Le- Leviticus chapter 25. The kinsman redeemer motif that we find in the Old Testament. And he was willing to take Ruth as his wife. He gave his life to God. He took her as his wife. He consecrated himself to the Lord because it was the right thing to do. God prescribed that. He was a relative of Elimelech. Elimelech had no sons living to perpetuate his family. And so it was his obligation to take her as wife. He does that. He does the right thing. He consecrates himself. And that's evidence of his faith. Unexpected. You know, he didn't expect Ruth to come across his past. Let me just ask you a question before we wrap this up this morning and look at the last theme. When God brings someone unexpected across your path, he didn't wake up that morning and expect that Ruth was going to be in that field. How do you respond when God brings something unexpected? Do you surrender and do you do the right thing? Or do you just go about doing your own thing? I love this prayer of consecration from Richard Baxter, Puritan pastor. He prayed this one time, Lord, what you will. What's the what in your life today? What is it that God has in front of you? Lord, what you will. Where you will, is God tapping you on the shoulder? Does he want something different for you? Are you willing? Where you will and when you will, are you willing to do it in his time? That's a prayer of consecration. Lord, take my life. I'll do it because you want me to do it. And that brings us to the closing theme this morning. And it's the theme of God's gracious redemption in your life and mine, when we're feeling worthless or helpless or abandoned. That's where Naomi and Ruth were. A woman, destitute, abandoned, gleaning in the fields, only the poor did that. You left a little bit over for the poor, the fatherless and the widows. That's where they're at. What we see at this end, the end of this story is God's redemption in our lives when we're feeling abandoned and worthless and helpless. This word redeemed, this theme of the kinsman redeemer, the guardian redeemer, and that's the way it is in the NIV Bible, is repeated 23 times in this book. Redeemed, redeemer, redemption. That theme is, that word is found 23 times in this book. Now, let me ask you, if God says something 23 times in four chapters, do you think it might be important? This is an important thought that we're ending with now this morning. Do you feel like you're beyond the reach of God today? 
Maybe you're here and you feel like you are, nobody can help me. It's helpless. I'm abandoned. This is it. Do you feel like you're beyond the reach of God? Well, look at the end of the story then. Look at, look at the end of chapter 4 and look at verse 16. And look at how this book ends. I want to encourage you. I hope you leave here with hope today. Boaz takes Ruth as his wife. He becomes her redeemer, redeemer guardian. And they're celebrating this. And you can read the story there in verses 13 through 17. I think it's on the screen here for you. You can follow along. And look at verses 16 and 17. Then Naomi took the child, laid him in her lap, and cared for him. And the, the women living there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. Now notice the genealogy here. He was the father of Jesse. And Jesse became the father of King David. Now turn to Matthew chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. Turn to the New Testament for just a minute. And notice how this genealogy ends. I want to read it for you. Here in Matthew 1, verses 5 and 6. And this is the rest of the story. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. You remember who Rahab was? Rahab was that harlot with that red cord that went down... The mother of Rahab, Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Mo, Ruth was a foreigner. She wasn't even from the nation of Israel. And Oab, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. And David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Now, that's an ugly story in the Bible. And then look back up the page. Judah, the father of Perez, Zerah, whose mother was Terah. Now, that's another Incredible story in the Bible. God redeems all of those women and all of these situations. You know what that tells me? Nobody, whether your name is Ruth or Rahab or whatever your name is this morning, nobody in this room today is beyond the reach of God. And this is a great place to end because this is Palm Sunday and next week is Easter and we're going to celebrate the death of our Savior on Good Friday. He died on a cross for us. He rose again from the dead on Sunday so that we could be redeemed. Boaz is a symbol of our Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, our rock, our refuge, the one who's reaching out for you, the one who's alongside of you this morning that wants to save you. And so that's the end of the story and the, the last major theme that we have in this book today. Reminds me of this story, which I'll, clo I'll close with. It's a little boy living in New England. He'd go out and he'd watch all of the ships as they were sailing on the ocean. He went home one day and he built his own boat. He wanted a boat like the ships. And he took that little boat and he put it down on the water, went down to the beach, put it in the water out in the ocean, and he was watching it. It was just bouncing up and down on the waves. And as he was watching it, all of a sudden this big wind comes along and it takes the boat, it carries it out in the ocean, and the boat is lost. He loses it. And he's despondent. 
He goes back home and he goes back the next day and he goes back the next day hoping that he'll find his boat. He never finds it. And then one day he's walking along in town and he looks in this storefront window and there's his boat. And he walks into the store and he says, Mister, that's my boat. Can I have it? It's my boat. And the man wouldn't give it to him. He said, you've got to pay me something for it. So he reaches into his pocket and he, he, he pays the man and he walks out with his boat. And as he's walking out with his boat, he says, little boat, he says, you're mine. You're twice mine because once I made you and then I bought you. I think that's a wonderful illustration of the love of our God this morning in his redemption in our lives. He made us. He made you. He loves you. And he wants to redeem you. He's reaching out for you this morning. If you'll reach out for him. If you'll reach out for him. Would you bow your head with me? Lord, now as we sing this closing song, we come before you. As we are. Because that's the only way we can come. As we are. You know where we are, Lord. You know what problems in our life. You know we've been trying to be faithful. You know we're trying to live for you by faith. You know what's happened this week. You know the people in this room that maybe have never even given their life to you. That don't know you today as Redeemer. Lord, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, right now. I ask that you would meet us where we are and give us what we need in your loving providence. In your name we pray. Let's stand together and sing.